Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, with your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerdra Jackson. Hello and welcome to Living Strong, The Flip Side of Adversity. I am Dr. Veerdra Jackson, the CEO and creative behind Living Strong Consulting, and I welcome you to our October Conversations of unpacking stories that help us recognize that what we've been through does not define where we are able to go. And I have a very special guest with us as we jump into our episode, Beyond Her Yes. And I have to tell you, um, I actually have been trying to figure out what year it was that I actually met Marisol, um, but I had the privilege of speaking at her organization for a group of graduates who went through one of her programs. And it so deeply impacted me that I remember the curriculum, I remember the experience, I remember the empowerment of the mothers as they shared what they had learned, how their lives had changed, and how the choices they had made in moving forward with their lives, with their children, um, how they had such a wisdom and a community now of support mm. that it resonated with my soul years later mm. when I became an early Head Start coach um, for home visiting. And I had the opportunity to work with home visitors who also were working with families who were experiencing, whether it be situational poverty or generational poverty, they wanted skills to understand how do we empower, how do we inform. Um, we don't want to just be the teacher. We want to help them f- facilitate their own agency and growth. And I, I remembered Marisol immediately <laughs> and went back to that experience I had with her and the curriculum that Um, She exposed me to during that graduation ceremony, and I carried it forward into the work that I now consistently do as I embark upon helping organizations build equitable, trauma-informed systems that impact children, families, and specifically, in many cases, women. So now, let me introduce to you our co-host, for our episode Beyond Her Yes. Let me introduce you to Marisol Rodriguez. She has served in the Pregnancy Resource Center field for 12 years, first as a volunteer and then as a director of an urban center. Her years of experience in serving women facing an unplanned pregnancy led her to see the many needs and obstacles that women in poverty were facing burdened by the struggle and confronted these new mothers, Marisol and three of her colleagues who also had pregnancy center background, they founded 
Renew Life Center in 2013. And our journey of being connected began thereafter. And so I'm excited to talk about, unpack some challenging elements, digging into the truth of the story of mothers who have said yes to their pregnancy and are embarking upon and conquering obstacles to their motherhood, their parenthood, as well as their livelihood. And I welcome to the flip side of adversity, Marisol Rodriguez. Welcome to the conversation, Marisol. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Oh, and thank you for saying yes to the conversation as um, this conversation about um, being honest and open around Mm -hmm. what is impacting uh, mothers who are impacted by poverty. Um, It has been, we've done a couple of episodes that have unpacked and drawn the light to the statistics and the truth about the journey. But I believe you have your own personal story that connects you to this conversation. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and how it connects to this conversation? Yeah. You know, it's funny because um, so many years in pregnancy resource ministry, and I never thought my background had anything to do with it, but it's actually my background that um, was the foundation. I didn't know it at the time because I wasn't addressing poverty. I was just addressing the pregnancy, um, the unplanned pregnancy um, situation the woman was in. So my um, past didn't really come into play, um, but then eventually it did. And I was born to a single mother, so in, in poverty, and and not just poverty, but you had made a distinguished earlier, a, distingui- a distinction between generational poverty and um, situational poverty. And it's quite different. It's quite different. So I come from generational poverty, which means that uh, my family was in poverty for three generations or more. And that kind of poverty is really ingrained into um, your family. And it's really hard to get out of. So uh, I was born to a single mom. She had many children, um, multiple fathers. And she was the typical story of a woman just trying to keep her head above water, uh, just trying to keep a roof over her head and just trying to keep her children fed. And having to do those things with no education and no resources, you tend to depend on a man to be your provider. And that is what put her in a cycle of these relationships that always ended. And usually she ended up with a child. And and that was, um, that was unfortunate for her. But what was fortunate is that when I was around two years old, my mom got saved and started going to church. And that was a game changer for all of us. Wow. Wow. When I even think about how you started the conversation by saying you didn't even realize in the moment that something you were passionate about was actually related to your story. Sometimes we get mm-hmm. so focused on mm-hmm. um, the, the the mission that's right here. We don't realize how our past experiences are actually influencing what we are, the decisions we're making, the things we become mm-hmm. passionate about, the decisions we begin to make. They are tied to our past and 
I think being able to to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to connect with our stories in order to create a greater good or create or even listen to somebody else's story and honor it, um, it is a powerful one. And so this moment of coming into faith, come I'm sure coming into community, coming into um, mm-hmm. a church experience you said was a shift for you that that was an mm-hmm. element of that flip if you would say can yes. you unpack that a little bit more for yeah. us that was the flip side of our adversity um, so my mom walks into a church and with I'm only two years old so a lot of what I'm telling you I don't remember but I hear from my sisters and my mom this is how we live so talk about I mean abject poverty we were in but my mom walks into a church, a small storefront church in Newark, New Jersey. And um, that's where our life began to change because you said it, she got connected to community. And what's happening many times, we, you could be surrounded by people, but you're not connected to community. You know, you're still lonely. I think women know that you could be surrounded and still lonely, right? So my mom got connected to a community that wasn't judging her, that wasn't presuming anything about her, but just loved her, embraced her, share, share the gospel with her, and then got involved in her life. You know, the, the women in church taught her how to open a bank account. She never had a bank account before. You know, the, the men in the church, the pastor in particular was like our surrogate father in, in, um, in helping my mom raise these rambunctious kids by herself. And, and they got involved and that changed everything. So we went, my family went from absolutely no education until me and my siblings are the first generation to go to school and graduate, you know, and, um, and go on to be successful adults who, who never spent a day on government assistance, but we grew up on welfare and food stamps and, you know, like others. And, and it's funny because that old saying, don't forget where you come from, right? It's easy to forget where you come from because I was sitting in a pregnancy center in an urban city working with women that were in the exact same situation my mother was in. But yet I didn't make the connection, at least not intellectually, you know? Um, I was just, like you said, so focused, you know? So focused on that life issue that I wasn't looking at the whole picture. But then, then God brought it to light. Yes. And before we jump into, and and I'm not sure if if you um, are willing or open to, I, I know that you shared, you know, there was a phone call that actually kind of like woke you up and realized, wow, we, we're missing something here. Yes. But before we jump into that, there's something that I know in the work that I so often do around equity whether we are talking about the marketplace or ministry, there's an element where holding our hearts accountable to actually seeing people and not just creating a stereotype or judging them so that the fear of being vulnerable, of learning something new, doesn't get derailed because I'm not looking at this human being as a statistic or a stereotype or those people or that group. I'm looking at this person as a child of God, 
as a human being that God has put on assignment to be in my presence. What's the power? Can you just kind of share your own perspective of when we polish our lenses to keep ourselves from stereotyping people? Yeah, you know, that's that's important to me. And this was what was hardest about writing about my personal life and my mom in my book, because I don't want anybody to judge her. And I'm getting emotional yeah, <laughs> just yeah. thinking about it's that, you know, who, oh, excuse me. <laughs> yes. Excuse me. Yes. So, uh, we honor tears here. <laughs> we honor tears. Yes. It's never happened to me before. But, you, you know, you said the word vulnerable. And I had to be very vulnerable in writing this book because um, I didn't want anyone to have the wrong impression of my mother. And I dedicated the book to her um, when I wrote it. When you sit across from a woman who has multiple children with multiple last names, your first thought is she's promiscuous. She sleeps around. Labels. And, and labels. And it goes on and on and on. And I know for a fact with my mother, it had nothing to do with promiscuity. It had to do with need, the need to feed children. You know, her first partner that she had children with disappeared. So after that, now she's, you know, she's alone. And here's this thing. When a woman sits in front of you, she has a story. She has her own story. But we're making our version of her story in our head before we even hear hers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we, we have to understand that people make decisions for different reasons. And, and, you know, and before I even go into that, to say that we tend to assume the people who have never experienced poverty tend to assume that everyone has the same options they have. Everyone has the ability to get the same resources they do. And everyone can make the same choices they can. The difference is that other people choose poorly. And that's not true. That mm. is not true. That couldn't be further from the truth. So when you're a woman who is comes from abject poverty, no education, has a couple of kids, and, um, and no work skills, you know what choices do you make, right? What choices do you make? How do you get? How do you provide for the children you have? And of course, to let's admit it, we all want to be loved. We all want to find that person that is promising to love us and take care of us for the rest of our lives, right? So each relationship pretty much was that. It was promises that were broken. And and with each relationship, there's a new hope that this is the guy, you know, and, and he's gonna keep his word and and he's the one and and it's not. And 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 my mother's story is almost a hundred years old. Actually, my mom passed away already. She would have been a hundred already. So we're talking, you know, 80 years ago, but it's the exact, exact same thing happening today here in the United States of America. And we think that these things are third world country issues and it doesn't happen here. You know, it's we're in the richest nation in the world. You know, um, our poor people have resources and it's like, Mm, yeah, not so much, you know, um, it's more complicated than that. So, um, so it's really important to look at each person, you know, with no lens, actually, let me, let me sit here and not make up a story in my head. Let me hear her story, you know, and it might surprise you. And, and, you know, you started asking me about a phone call. It was actually an email. So mm -hmm. here I am really happy in my pregnancy center serving women. And I loved my job. Uh, I loved serving. I love serving the Lord. I love serving people. Um, I'm very passionate about that. And um, I get an email 
And I read this email one morning and it was from a, a woman we had served at the center. She came in, she was pregnant. She was undecided about carrying her to her pregnancy to term. And she, um, you know, by through the counseling of one of our um, counselors, she decided to choose life. But it wasn't, you know, it, she wasn't leaning towards life initially. But here's some things about this woman before I tell you the rest of her story. She was college educated. She um, had a full-time job in an elementary school. And, um, you know, she had a career. I mean, you're a teacher. That's, that's pretty good, right? You got a pension. You got benefits and all that's really cool, right? But I get an email from her. Um, telling me, you know, Marisol, I'm trying to do this. And I'm paraphrasing. So to make it quick, I'm trying to do this and it's hard. And I feel alone in this decision. And when I went over there and it was like, she was like, she was wagging her finger at me when I went over there, you know, um, I felt like I was in community and I felt loved and, and you guys encouraged me to choose life. But now I'm all alone. You know, I'm all alone. I, I don't have, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I don't have enough money to buy with the, the needs for this baby that's coming. Um, my mom can't help me by watching the baby while I work. Um, I'm stressed out. Um, you, you, you know, and, and the email went on and on. And what surprised me about that was that she was so further ahead than every other client I had. Most of my clients came in, they were either undocumented or poor or, or immigrants or, you know, or people, they were, I was in an urban city, they were majority poor people, but she was miles ahead of everybody else. So that's what opened my eyes to, to realizing, oh my goodness, if she is suffering, if she is struggling, and she said it in her email, she was, she was second guessing her decision. And in New Jersey, we know you can terminate a pregnancy at any time, at any time. So she could have at any point changed her mind, gone in the, gone and terminated her pregnancy. So she was kind of saying, I don't know. I don't know if I could keep moving forward with this decision. And that shocked me, you know? Um, and that's when, you, you know, I closed that laptop and I was never the same again. I was yes. never the same again. You know, in the work that we do, we actually um, talk about um, Alice families, the a asset limited income constrained employee. So the Alice mm -hmm. family for listeners who are um, who are unaware, the Alice family is a family who has a job, is trying to do, the best that they can. They can be educated or they they are daycare teachers, they are educated classroom teachers, they are hairdressers, the, the list goes on. They are employed human beings, but they do not have what is necessary to help the ends meet. And statistically, 27% of Pennsylvania families are Alice families. And wow. so when we recognize that this isn't a those people over there issue, this is something that we all should be more aware of. We should all be held more accountable to. And it takes me actually back to your story. Because as I was listening to you, it just resonated with me as you talked about, she was hoping with each one of the gentlemen mm -hmm. she encountered that that story was gonna be the promise. 
But she was introduced to a man Mm. who would not break his promises and a community who were tangibly his hands and feet and confirmed the promises that he offers in our word. And it was revolutionary. And so it, I, I think about many single mothers find that the government assistance just isn't enough. Um, and can you elaborate a little bit more on where they can go for support, how they are nav- navigating, and, and, and what kind of role do you want us all to begin to be more aware of? I know yeah. that was a lot, but I'm all revved up. <laughs> it got me revved up, Marisol. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Because I'm revved up, too. I'm revved up, too. So that's good. Um, you know, um, she met the one and only man who never breaks a promise, right? She met Jesus. And, yes. and you know what? To me, that alone is a testament that, that when our needs are met, you know, in a healthy way, we don't we don't go ahead and make those dumb decisions because those are decisions based on desperation. Right. And when when a woman is connected to community, you know, I always, when we say that a woman connected to community, I always think about the woman at the well and how she was always going to the well in the heat of the day because nobody else was there, you know, and she wanted to go and, and not be judged and not be sneered and looked at and whatever. And, and what Christ did for her was that he reconnected her to community. You know, when, when she went back to the community to tell them about, you know, who she met, you know, she became a local folk hero, you know, yes. because she, she led them to Christ. Right. So, you know, and that's what the church can do for women in these situations and women who are pregnant, single mothers or women who are, are just single mothers already. And like the church can, can take this woman who already feels like an outcast. She doesn't need any more condemnation <laughs> or shame heaped upon her. She, she knows, she knows. Um, what she needs is love and what she needs is guidance and she needs is acceptance and to be connected to, to, to the church family. And so what, what do I want people to do? I want people who are Christ followers, who think that life is sacred from conception to natural death, to take a a broader look at, um, at life, a broader look at what it means to be pro-life. A lot of Christians say they're pro-life. And they say, oh, yeah, I'm pro-life and I locate, I donate to my local pregnancy center. And that's awesome. Keep doing that. That's great. But there's so much life that the woman has to live with that baby after her experience at a pregnancy center. And that's a vacuum right there. And that's an opportunity for the church to step in that vacuum and really offer this woman and her baby support guidance, the gospel, of course, most important of all education. And, and yes, she needs education, like, you know, school education. But as you know, um, because you know, the curriculum of getting ahead, right? She needs information. She needs knowledge that can transition her thinking from survival mode to thriving mode, you know, because no matter how much education a woman or a man has or anybody has, if you don't have the skill set to operate in the professional world or in academia, you don't get any traction. You know, as a matter of fact, right now we have a getting a hack, a getting ahead class going. There are multiple women sitting in that classroom called getting ahead that have degrees. Wow. Yes. They have degrees. They're yes. still in poverty. They yes. can't get out. They can't get traction. So what's missing? 
Yeah. What's yeah. missing? Yeah. And it's the material that they learn in this getting ahead workshop that's the missing link to connect their education to to the ability to operate in other environments other than poverty environments. Now with that education, she can go into a professional environment. She feels comfortable. She knows how to navigate it. She knows the language. She knows the hidden rules and um, and she belongs. Right. But what happens is you go without that, you walk into these environments and there's one thing that you know loud and clear, you don't belong there. Yeah, yeah. The, I think it, there's so many elements that you hit upon um, that for me is really important to the conversation of becoming more aware, especially if you are, um, if you're saying that you're in ministry and you want to serve others, but this isn't about serving because you have a stereotype in mind of those people, but you're mm. actually recognizing that everyone has a story. Most people are just doing the best that they can, but many times they lack the information to realize the systemic issues that are oftentimes keeping them in a cycle that they can't seem to break out of, but they begin to own as their failure, but helping them, what I, I love about the Getting Ahead curriculum has been helping um, families to become more informed and empowered with wise decision-making and even within that, being able to have community to problem solve together, to, to share their experiences, to gain their awareness and begin to recognize that poverty is not an individual person's decision, that there are four categories mm -hmm. that actually yeah. perpetuate and cause poverty. But many times when you sit from one vantage point and have the opportunity to create judgment, you, you can write one story, a single story about someone, where they are, the decisions they're making, and, and miss the opportunity to actually help them build agency and mm. debunk a lie about what causes poverty. Yes. Uh, yeah, we know, right? We know yes. that, you know, they're poor because they're lazy, uh, right? They're poor because they're lazy. They're poor because mm -hmm. they're unmotivated. They're poor. And look, I say, yeah, sometimes that's absolutely true, you know, but I find that a lot of the times it's not, you know, and I, and I, when folks tell me, well, they just need to pull themselves up from their bootstraps. I'm like, they don't have bootstraps. You know, someone is someone in situational poverty has bootstraps and they can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But when you come from generational poverty, there are no bootstraps. So it's like, I feel like we're equipping them with that. So look, yeah. these are the tools you need. This is the language that you need to op to, to do well in this environment. And this is, this is the thought process behind time behind power, behind discipline, as you know, like those hidden rules that we talk about, you know, those are really, they're like secrets. And, and the number one thing I hear in class from women is this sense of why weren't we taught this in school? You know, because wow. it's, it's, it's basic. It really, when you think about it, it's basic information. 
that's not taught in school. And I tell them, you know why it's not taught in school? Because schools are a middle class environment run by middle class people. And they assume that everyone that walks in the building knows what they know. They assume that every parent had the ability to teach their children what they could teach their children. And they don't realize that like you have all these, these, you know, uh, hundreds of kids in the school being taught by middle-class teachers in a middle-class environment. And they have no idea. They have no idea what is going on at home. And, and, you know, just to even touch on one of the things, which is the value of education, it's like people in poverty know education is important Mm. and they know there's a value to it. The problem is, is that they're in such a state of urgency that they don't have time for education. You know, it's like, well, let my kid go to college. Well, you mean four years before he can actually bring in some money into the house? Like we need money now. So it's not like they don't know it's important and it has value, but the sense, the urgent need for resources now is what has them forego that for a quick fix. Yeah. Yes. It's, it is literally about perspective and understanding how human beings respond in survival and recognizing there are a whole set of hidden rules that go along mm-hmm. with that, yeah. that they that there's literally an internal loyalty to that can literally sabotage or continue to derail um, people from ex- or experiencing new opportunities. But when you're in spaces like um, Renew Life Center, you're, you're able to learn new information, feel empowered, gain your footing, cre- connect with others who are learning the same thing and those who have already learned and been able to go ahead of you and now come back and tell you um, how it has changed their lives. So you founded Renew Life Center to fill in gaps that were left by pregnancy centers. Can you explain Um, You've been explaining, but can you continue to explain um, gaps and and what you're seeking to fill? Yeah, you know, I I don't think the gap is left by the pregnancy center because I think pregnancy centers, they have a mission and it's a a well-defined mission and they do it well. They do a great job. And usually their mission goes up to like a year after the baby is born. They'll support the mom at parenting classes and diapers and wipes and all those resources that are very helpful to her. Often they have counseling um, and relationship building workshops and things like that. So, So the gap, I don't think belongs to them. I think really the gap, the person, the what not the, the entity we need in that gap is really the church. And when I say the mm. church, that's capital C church, I'm really meaning Christ followers. You know, we know the church is not the building, right? The church right. is the people. So these are the, that's the missing link. It, and, and it's missing in a sense that we have to understand that our God saved us, not for our benefit alone, but to benefit mm. others as well. You know, so I know my, um, I always see it as, you know, when I go to church on Sunday, my pastor pours into me, you know, or God pours into me through my pastor, right? He teaches me things, concepts and all these things. And I think it's my responsibility now to pour that into someone else on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, and Saturday, right? The whole week. And now, so some of us work in ministry, some of us don't. Fine. You go to corporate America and you work there and, and you have different opportunities. But I think we all, we all in some way, one way or another have to um, 
pour into other people. And I think that, and, and again, again, these pro-life um, Christians who are really um, passionate about it, we got to look beyond just, okay, she said yes to life. That's fantastic. But now that she said yes, which was a very brave choice that she's facing oftentimes alone, okay, where are we in the, in the next, you know, 18 years that she's got to uh, raise this baby? And here's the and. What is the quality of life of that baby that we encouraged her to bring into this world, right? Yeah. So that baby grows up to get involved in gangs, or if it's a girl, have a teen pregnancy and repeat her mother's cycle or whatever that may be. Well, how do we expect that not to happen if we didn't get involved to, to interrupt the cycle that that family was having, okay? It's a cycle and something has to interrupt it. And I think the interruption is us. When we either as a church or as a volunteer, we go to a pregnancy center and say, hey, you know what? I, let's, let's, let's do a mentoring program. You know, me and, and some church ladies, we wanna start, you know, offering, you know, maybe a getting ahead workshop or a mentoring program, or how about financial literacy? And how about, you know, some kind of, and here's the thing, there's a lot of, um, programs available for, for moms that pregnancy centers may get involved in, like there's Young Lives, mm-hmm. which is for pregnant teens. There's something called Embrace Grace um, that is that the church gets involved in um, kind of like creating relationships with single moms. And there's a few others. I can't remember all the names off the top of my head. And they're wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful. But I think that there's also room for people to step into that space to address the poverty itself, because those programs are wonderful and and they, they, they fulfill, they meet a need, right? But then we, I want to just take that further and say, let's address the poverty itself because that's the driving factor to all the bad decisions. Mm. That's what's keeping the teen pregnancy, the gang involvement, the drugs, the, the prison, you know, keeping the prison full and stuff like that. And, and in order for those children to have a different outcome, yeah. there has to yeah. be something different that gets yeah. involved in there. And I'm really concerned about that. I'm concerned about her. I'm concerned about the quality of the baby's life. I'm concerned about the future. And, um, and I just want to see these babies. And, you know, Roland Warren, he's the president of CareNet, one of the largest uh, pregnancy resource center, like a network kind of organization. They're wonderful. And he has a term that he calls pro-abundant life. So he says, I don't want to be just pro-life. I want to be pro-abundant life. And what he means by that is that having life is good, but having an abundant life is even better, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And and he's meaning abundant in Christ. You know, he's not talking mm-hmm. about money and resource, abundant in Christ. But then also that abundance in Christ should lead to other abundance as well. Abundance in spirit, abundance in hope, abundance in love, abundance in community, you know, and and even if she never gets out of poverty. The quality of her life and the quality of her children's life will be far better because the church is involved, because, you know, that changes everything. It's not just about economic status. It's also your spiritual status that um, that needs to be improved. You know what? I love everything you shared and I'm going to lean in and people who know me. (laughs) No, when I say I'm going to lean in, I'm getting ready to say something Uh-oh. that may be a little prickly. Um, and, uh, and, but I'm, I'm open to processing it because mm-hmm. I, I, on my own journey, I have gotten, 
upset with um, church communities um, for that very reason in um, promoting or creating this whole message just around pro-life, but not recognizing the systemic issues that are impacting um, families and communities and why why they are making choices and to sit from a place to promote something and say, I believe this, but it's not the whole life, it's not the lifetime. And, and it becomes this ne- very narrow, hostile sometimes conversation that is dripping with stereotypes and judgment. And it, it, it in my own heart, has made me push away from embracing even the term pro-life because I've watched Mm. how um, church communities and even um, organizations ignore systemic issues and and jump on a bandwagon of a conversation. But there's there's like quality of life is Mm. beyond that the the pregnancy itself and but the conversation stops there um the protest stops there the pushback stops there the judgment stops there and i've i I even have had moments where i have unfriended people on facebook i have stopped conversations with people who won't embrace the entire conversation of recognizing that if you are for something, that is an entire life and recognize there are some things as a church body, as human beings, you're going to have to deal with in yourself that is having you judge, blame, or creating this very narrow and sometimes toxic conversation that then has people not even being open to talking because it's gotten such a toxic narrative. Mm-hmm. I I know in in your book your your goal and you you've actually said the book is not is not a pro life book. It's actually a book about how we do ministry for abundant living. And mm-hmm. I I think even in preparation for this episode, I struggled with with recognizing I've struggled in relationships with other fellow Christians who aren't willing to look at the system, the whole picture of life and have only attached their attention to one part of the conversation. And so I, I'm curious, how are or what is your perspective? What kind of impact do you hope your book has on the mindset of ministry that has become so narrow and for some hostile and, and actually creating a space to see and hear people's stories and go to action to help all human beings. 
I hear you. I hear you like and clear. <laughs> I, thought, I, like I, clear. I, I leaned in. Uh, I was like, okay, am I going to mm-hmm. say it? And But you no, set yeah, the plate. No. You set the table for mm-hmm. me. Because no, I wrestle, I wrestled with us even having this conversation mm-hmm. because no, I, I've yeah. pushed back. I've pushed back from other Christians. I've pushed back from Facebook posts. I've pushed because my conversation is around equity and I know what survival mode pushes you to. And if you're mm-hmm. not willing to talk about equitable practices for everyone don't just run this one part of the conversation. I hear what you're saying. And I'm glad. I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you. This is the conversation I always dream of having, you know, um, and I think should be had more often. So here's my response to that. I was in pro-life ministry for 10, 12 years, seeing women in poverty come in pregnant, you know, and you have this cycle thing going round and round. And I, I will confess, I didn't see beyond that. I didn't. And I, and I grew up in poverty and part of my life in that very same city I was serving in, you know, and, um, and still I became focused on my mission and I didn't see outside of that. Now I would say, if I'm in it and I didn't see it, how do I expect people who aren't in it? to see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, they say they're pro-life because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that life is sacred. Bible says, you know, I get, I let you choose blessing and curses, life or death. And then it says, choose life. You know, the Bible's telling you choose life, you know, and I, and, and I say, Jesus died for what? Life. For us to live. So that we may have, for us to live. Right. So, um, so Christians normally, um, and not all of them. We know some Christians aren't pro-life at all, uh, but Christians generally would say they're pro-life because the Bible says so. Because, and I agree with it, or I just follow it because you know the big book says so, and and that's that. Now I've had the privilege, and I counted a privilege. That email that I received from that young woman is one of the greatest gifts God's ever given me, besides my children and my husband and my salvation. Of course, it was a gift because He opened my eyes. So, but here's the thing. Here's what I want to challenge you with. You know. No one gets mad at the Susan G. Komen Foundation for only addressing breast cancer. Nobody's arguing with them and say, well, you don't talk about ovarian cancer and you don't raise money for ovarian cancer. What's wrong with you? You should care about all cancer. No, their mission is breast cancer. And everybody seems to respect that and be okay with it, you know? But when it comes to pro-life and pregnancy resource center issue, they feel that pro-lifers have to solve every issue in the world that could that's connected. So we should be solving the foster care system problem, the food insecurity problem, the education problem, the crime problem, the drug problem, the teen pregnancy problem. That That's an unreasonable request, you know? Now, that's not to say that we're excused. We should all, I, I think that the world is, is gone the way it's gone because the church withdrew from social programs. In the beginning, the church started hospitals, right? Colleges, mm-hmm. social services was the church. But then that was handed over to the government. The church stepped back and let the government handle social service issues. And I think it's only gotten worse. Why? Because there's no, there's no, um, there's no Christ in it, you know, no there's no faith in mm-hmm. it. There's mm-hmm. no beacon of light. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, okay, we'll help feed you and clothe you and this and that and this and that, but we're not caring for your soul, right? We're not calling you to live to a higher moral standard. We're just giving you band-aids, right? And then you continue making the same mistakes and that's okay. We'll just give you more band-aids. So, so I think that 
we should care. And and I see this pockets of Christians. Like I know there are churches that are really big on the foster care system and they encourage their members to, to get foster children and they, and they really push for that. And then there's others that are really into adoption and they really, you know, they even have a fund to help congregants adopt children. And, and I see pockets of these, I just wish it was more. So there is stuff happening, not enough. And, um, and it's not always connected directly to pro-life. So that, so that's what I, I think that we have to be careful that we want to put like everything on top of, of, of the pro-life issue. It's like, you have to solve everything. And, and I think that just having life in, in itself is good. Right. So, so look, what's the point of fighting over all these things? You know, if there's no life, like you got to be born first right? Let's get you born. Let's get you born. And now let's come around you and provide everything else. And, and the other thing with that too, is look, I, I wrote the book because I want to see better outcomes for these moms and not just our children, but for the moms too. You know, she had a dream. She had a goal when she was walking into, or trying to walk into an abortion clinic before a sidewalk advocate interrupted her and said, Hey, can we talk for a minute? And then maybe led her to a pregnancy resource center where she got an ultrasound and saw that baby and, and it changed her heart. And now she's carrying to term. Well, now I want to, I still want to know what her hope was before, what was her dream? Because I still want her to have that. And she can have it with the a proper support, the proper mentoring and the, the right people around her. She can still go to college, finish school, have a career, get out of poverty. All those things are still possible, but it seems like she has to choose one or the other. Either I, I go forward with my dream or my goals, whatever you want to call them, or I have a baby, but both of them can't coexist. And I think that's, it's sad. It breaks my heart that a woman is put in that position. And I don't think, I don't think that's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's humane. I was going to say it's not God honoring, but let, you know, let, it's not even humane for someone to have to do that. You know, it, it, I equate it to like, you know, when an animal gets caught in a trap, you know, you've heard these things where animal chewed off his own foot just to break free from a trap. That's what a woman is doing when she's walking into an abortion clinic. You know, it's like she's chewing off her own foot so she could survive. That's, um, mm. that's brutal. So mm. that's, that's my, I don't know if I answered your question, but, um, you know, there's so many issues in the world. And, and I, I just feel that it's unfair that it's only the pro-life issue that is pushed to have to solve everything. You know, um, they just can't do their thing. You know, they got to do their thing and all the other things too. So, yeah, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree because mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know that it's, it's only the pro-life um, issue that is expected to do more. I think the way the messaging um, comes across is is one in which this is tied to more than than the pregnancy itself, as you have said. And I think the the because the that same group won't support other things that have to do with other people's lives and. It's it is recognizing that this is a systemic issue in a fallen world mm -hmm. and without collaboration, communication and honest space for people to tell their story 
so that if you're walking in in a space with judgment, you actually have to to allow your heart to hear the full story of the other person. And I struggle with people not allowing that to happen. And it then makes me want to push push back and say, huh, I don't that to, for me, that's not godly either. And so mm-hmm. it's 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 difficult, not necessarily putting everything on pro-life, but recognizing that if 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 it's going to be um if it's going to be one mantra, then the whole conversation of abundant living also has to be a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I love yeah. what I love about your book is it's challenging us to recognize we all need to lock arms. And when when a woman has said yes, it's recognizing how will we be the church? How will we be the church in this space and support and continue to inform you're challenging us to lock arms. Yes. And to move. Yeah. 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 To be a part of a race. I call it a relay race. You know, you got to pass the baton to the next person. And um, and that's how you win the race. Now, I I, um, I want to clarify something because I think what you're talking about, and I love this topic. Let me tell you, I, 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 <laughs> I'm so happy to be having it with you. I think you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, the heart. You're talking about the heart behind um, mm-hmm. these proponents, am I right? Because you're yes. talking a lot about the judgments, and and there, see that that's what that's different than what I was referring to. But mm-hmm. but you're talking about the heart, and you're absolutely right. I can I tell you how many times I'm with pro-lifers, and um, an occasion like it's not my thing to be a sidewalk advocate. Those are the folks that are in front of the abortion clinic, you know, um, advocating for life now. There's different, there's different things. Like I know on TV, you see people, you know, with signs of, you know, babies, um, torn apart and you see, you know, signs, people saying you're going to hell and all this other stuff and yelling and screaming. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not a sidewalk advocate. That's something else. Those are protesters. And, you know, I'm not on board with that. You know, I'm not on board with that at all. And I hear them yelling sometimes things like, don't be selfish, stop being selfish. And I'm like, I'm like, She's not being selfish. She's trying to survive, you know, like, so I know, I know for a fact that they have no idea their heart is in the wrong place. I'm telling you that right now. And I, we're in agreement in that, you know, and sometimes some of the things I, I wish, honestly, I'm sorry. I just wish they would go away. I'm like, go away. You're not, you're making our job harder because you're heaping shame upon them, rejection, you know, condemnation, you know, now you're calling her selfish. It's not helpful. And I think that, I do think that some in the pro-life community need a heart check. Mm. You know, I think they need a heart check. And, um, and I, I'm not on board with that. And, you know, just like everything else, you know, you have, um, you could be a part of something, but there are 
pockets of it factions, that different factions uh-huh right different yeah, factions yeah. that you're yeah. like you're not on board with you know yeah. so like I, I i talk a lot about sidewalk advocates that's not who i'm referring to i'm not mm-hmm. referring to the people doing the rosary or mm-hmm. with a sign or yelling i'm talking about the person quietly standing on the sidewalk that as someone is walking in just reaches out and says hey can i have just a minute of your time just a minute um before you go in there and make that decision that's a beautiful, gentle conversation. Mm-hmm. And then they'll say something like, so, you know, so what's driving you here today? You know, what's driving you to make this decision? And it's just, I think it's the greatest gift those women are getting as they're walking in. It's just a minute to reconsider a decision that's irrevocable. Mm-hmm. That's a great gift. And and as when they start saying, well, I, I'm unemployed and I don't have money and I have two kids at home and I can't feed those. And, and she starts spewing, you know, all her needs and whatever. And someone gently says, you know, there's support for you. If this is why you're walking in, you don't need to do this. There's people who care and love you and will come around you and, and um, you know, and help you figure this out. And I tell you, a lot of times they walk away with them. Mm. You know, and and that surprises me because this person is a total stranger. I'm like, when a total stranger walks up to you and makes you an offer of help and support and you walk away with them, that that's a big message. That's saying mm. they don't want to be there anyway. They don't mm. want to be there either. It's a last resort. You mm-hmm. know, so when I talk about sidewalk advocate, that's the person I'm referring to. And I really think they're heroes. I mm. think they're heroes. And they and they, like me, are the ones concerned about her future and fighting for the future. I'd say, you know, because I, I tell stories about them in the book and and they're usually scrambling yeah. to, you know, to help these women yeah. um, solve these issues. And, and I would love to see sidewalk advocates get more support in the work that they do because they're the ones putting, they're sticking their neck out and they're saying, hey, you know, the Christian community is here to support you. They, there better be a Christian community there to support Right, them. there they better be made, someone. Right. right. <laughs> the, they just made a promise. They just yes, made a promise. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe how our hour, our, how our hour has gone by so quickly. And before wow. we close out, we've got about 30 seconds to mm-hmm. share how can people find the book and follow you. Yeah, well, the book, you can find it on Amazon or any bookstore. It's Beyond Her Yes. Um, by Baker Book Publishers. I could be found at um, social media. Look up Marisol Maldonado Rodriguez. If it's in the, you'll find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And um, and there's www.renewlifecenternj.org. And uh, there's a contact form on there um, that you could reach out, send a message. I would love to help support, guide anyone, any Christian, any church, any organization that wants to get involved in further um, assisting women who choose life. Uh, that, that's, that's my calling. Thank you so much, Marisol, for sharing your story, you. your perspective, mm-hmm. and even our our little um, rustle there with concepts and it. conversations. <laughs> I love um, yeah. the, the brave conversations that we can have here on the flip side. So same time, same place. We'll see you next week right here on the flip side. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.